We're starting a new series today called Faith Alone. It's a study of the book of Romans. And in 18 years of preaching, I've never done a series on the book of Romans. I've used Romans a bunch in other messages, but I've never gone through a series of the book of Romans. And I, there's three reasons why I've never done it. Um, one is the length of the book. Most of my series are four to six weeks. Sometimes I'll stretch it out and do like a six to eight week series or maybe even a ten week series. There's no way to get Romans done in that length of time. There, even in a ten week series, there's no way to get it done. Uh, I saw a preacher online that had done a seven year sermon series on the book of Romans. 366 messages. I'm not going to do that to you. But we are going to go through the end of the year and probably a little bit into next year. But right now, this series is going to take us all the way through the end of the year and I think the first three Sundays of next year in order for us to wrap this up because it's, it's a long book, 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and there's a lot to cover within those 16 chapters. The second reason, though, is the depth. Roman is um, a very thorough examination of the Christian faith. So there's a lot of, it gets into sin, salvation, justification, sanctification, the role of the law, the role of Jews, uh, the role of uh, Gentiles. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, even as I'm reading through it, like the chapters 9 through 11, when you're reading some stuff like that, you'll go, what in the world is he talking about? I, don't even, I, I have no idea what Paul means right here. And the reason we get confused by that is because we're not Jews or Gentiles living in first century Rome. And so there's a, there's a lot of uh, depth to the book that makes me a little fearful of doing a series on that. As I only have so much time to teach uh, every Sunday. But the main reason that I've never done one on the book of Romans is it's not my favorite book. Now, I know I'm, I'm not supposed to say that. I know as, as a pastor, I'm not supposed to say that. If you say, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I'm supposed to say, they all are. I love every one of them. Every one of them have different meaning and purpose to me. I'm not supposed to admit that one of the books is not my favorite book. But of the 27 books of the New Testament, this one's not high on the list for me. And I know even saying that is blasphemy to some of you because this is your favorite book. Like this, I love the book of Romans. This is my favorite book. My pastor taught a seven-year series on the book of Romans. You know, like... I understand it's blasphemy to say this, and there's, there is some really, really good stuff in the book of Romans. Do not get me wrong. There's really good stuff. There's a lot of quotable verses. Um, there's a lot of good Christian doctrine in the book. But I remembered as I was preparing for today's message, I remembered why it's not my favorite book. Because what I did, and I usually do this before every series, before I start a textual series, I just sat down and read through it uh, as you would in any letter. I just start to finish. I read it aloud in one sitting. And Romans doesn't read like the rest of the New Testament letters. So most of what we have in the New Testament are letters. And they're personal letters. And they were written, you know, like you can see the personality of the writer come out. And you can see the personality of the church come out. Because they were written to like address certain situations going in the church. Or there's some kind of fight they're having. They're addressing that. There's some kind of misunderstanding they have. They're addressing that. Or there's, there's an encouragement they're having. Romans is written more like a theological essay than a personal letter and, and unless you're a really big bible nerd you probably don't enjoy reading theological essays and that's Romans written that way because essentially that's what it is yes it's a letter but uh, Paul did not have the same kind of relationship with the Christians in Rome than he had with Christians in like Thessalonica or 
Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, you know, and a lot of those churches, he had started those churches. So, so he had a, a very deep personal relationship with the people in those churches, and he knew exactly what was going on in those situations. In Rome, he doesn't have as much personal knowledge of what's going on, and he doesn't have as much of a personal relationship with the Christians in Rome. Matter of fact, the Christians in Rome don't have a personal relationship with really any of the apostles or any of the apostles' teaching. Because Rome was not started by the Apostle Paul or any of the apostles. It was most likely started by Jewish people who had gone to Jerusalem like around the day of Pentecost and heard that Jesus was the Messiah and came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they went back and they said, hey, let's start some churches. And so Paul's writing to the churches in Rome is the first, many people believe, this would have been the first written uh, record of the apostles' teaching that the churches in Rome would have had. The other churches would have had some oral uh, records of the apostles' teaching or maybe some written records of the apostles' teaching that it was circulated. But Rome, the, when they got this letter, this would have been the first uh, written teaching. It, in other words, this would have been the first time they'd seen the Bible. Now think about that for just a minute. Because I think this is fascinating to think about. How, in the, how can you have a church without the Bible? I mean, they had about they had Hebrew scriptures, so I'm not. But th there was no. The, they didn't have the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the New Testament. How in the world could you have a church without the New Testament? Now, many of us were taught and raised in such a way to say you can't. That's impossible. The church doesn't exist without the New Testament. Well, theirs did. <laughs> I mean, th they had a church without the New Testament. Matter of fact. There were many churches without New Testaments because the church exists for several years before the New Testament record became, became around. So, like, how in the world did they do that? Like, how did they know what was proper Christian doctrine? How did they know if they were teaching the right things? Or how did they know if they were observing uh, communion in the right way? Like, how did they know if they were doing How did they know that they were taking communion the right way? How did they know if they were taking it often enough? How did they know if they uh, were baptizing people in the right way? How did they know if they were worshiping in the right way? Like, what were their worship services like? How did that, because it, it's so strange for us to think about it, because a lot of us grew up thinking that church is about having the correct doctrine or believing the, the right things or worshiping in the right way or doing this in the right way. That's what church is about. But they didn't have any of that stuff. All they had was Jesus, and that was enough. I mean, that's all they had. They had faith in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that was enough for them to have a church. Now, I'm not using that to say that, you know, doctrine's not important and we don't need doctrine. It doesn't matter what they, you know, it can, you can do things in a chaotic way and worship and it doesn't matter and all that. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to, to, it reminds us that doctrine is not the most important part of church. Now, I know that sounds a little heretical heretical to, to some of us to say that but faith in Jesus is the most important part of the church that faith in Jesus is more important and, and, and doctrine is important because the reason Paul is writing the letter to them is to further inform their faith they've got a baby faith they've got an infant faith and Paul's I want to I want to further inform you on the importance of this faith and what this so he's talking to them about sin and salvation and justification and faith he's informing their faith but he's clearly saying and informing their faith, faith in Jesus is the most important thing. And then he's going to fill in the rest of this. So this is, we're going to jump in 
to, to chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to encourage you throughout this series to bring a Bible with you because um, we're going to be covering big, big sections of Scripture, and there's no way that I'll cover all of them in a, in a 25, 30-minute message. So I'm going to encourage you to bring your own copy. No worries today. I've got everything we're going to talk about on the screen today, but I won't be able to do that every single Sunday. So I want, this today is just an introduction, okay? This is just an introduction to the letter, and um, we're going to try to figure out where we're going with this thing. But we're going to read the, the introduction to the book, which is chapter 1, verse 1 through verse um, 17. So let's start there. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the opening sentence. (laughs) Just to give you a little indication of the length and depth of the book, that's the opening sentence. It takes him four verses just to, to get the opening sentence. Um, we do learn a couple of things in the opening sentence. One, we learn that Paul wrote the letter. And this is really important. I've mentioned it several times already, but it, it's it, writers of ancient letters did it differently than writers of modern letters. In modern letters, we sign our letters at the end of the letter. In ancient times, they, they essentially signed it at the beginning of the letter, which makes way more sense than the way we do it. Because the way we do it, we all have to skip ahead to the end of the letter and find out who wrote it, or we got to look at the return address, because who wrote the letter will change the way we read it, right? Who wrote the letter affects the way we read it. And so they just answer it for you on the front end, and Paul tells you at the very beginning, he wrote the letter. Actually, he didn't write it, but he did, he transcribed it, or somebody else transcribed it. That's too deep. Never mind. Um, Paul wrote it. Um, he had a scribe wrote it for him. But the Apostle Paul wrote the letter. Now, the rest of that sentence is actually, according to most commentators, that's an early creedal hymn. Now, think about that. Um, how would you maintain a common faith if there's no written word, if there's no written apostles' teaching, and, you know, how would you maintain a common faith? Well, th- they would maintain it through their hymns, through, through their early creeds and hymns. And this would have probably been, that's what most people think that Paul is doing, is quoting a song that they would have been familiar with, that possibly they would have sung in the churches. He's quoting a song. And the song is just identifying who Jesus is. It's the whole, the creed is all based on Jesus is the Son of God, He's a descendant of David. He was revealed through the prophets. And we know this through the power of the resurrection. So, verse 5. i got to use the screen here because I can't see my Bible. Because I need reading glasses, but I don't want to wear them in front of you yet. Um, through him, this is full honesty, okay. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the the, the introduction. The introduction he tells us who's writing it. I, Paul, am writing this letter. And he, this is who it's to. 
So he says it's to all in Rome who are loved by God. So this is written to the Christians who are gathered in Rome. If you go to the 16th chapter of Rome, you'll find out that there's at least five different churches meeting in the area of Rome. And Paul would have expected that this letter would be circulated among those churches. So he's writing to all the Christians in Rome. The ones mentioned at the end, but also if there's other churches that are meeting in different houses and different places. He's writing to all of these Christians. And he's writing specifically to to Gentiles, he mentions that you know a couple of times there. The reason he mentions Gentiles is because Gentiles would have made up the majority of the Christians in Rome. But there is a significant Jewish majority, and we know that because a lot of the stuff he says in the book, he says specifically to Jewish people. So the stuff in chapter one and two and, and nine through eleven, he says to Jewish people. So this is, this is a church primarily of Gentiles, but there's a there's a Jewish majority in it uh, or minority in it. Uh, as well. So we got the answer to two really important questions just through the first seven verses, and that's who wrote the book, and that's uh, who they were writing the book to. The other two questions you got to know before you interpret the Bible is, okay, well, when was it written, and why was it written? Now, when it was written was probably around 57 AD. That's not in the book. Actually, what you got to do is go, and there's people that are smarter than me that figured this out. They went and looked at some of the personal stuff Paul said and tried to align that with the timeline in the book of Acts. And they said, well, this is probably around 57 AD, which would end the end of his uh, third missionary journey. And so it just somewhere in mid-first century is when this book was written. Why was he writing it? That's the most important question. So we know Paul wrote it. We know he's writing to the Christians in Rome. But why is he writing it? The reason that is so important is because New Testament letters are occasional documents. Now, what that means is they were written for a specific occasion. There was a specific occasion. So Paul, there's a specific author writing to a specific audience for a specific reason. It's important to know what those reasons are if we're going to understand Scripture properly. Because if we don't understand what that is, we're not going to understand Scripture properly. We're going to try to apply it to situations that it was never meant to apply to. Or we're going to try to apply it to people that it was never meant to apply to. Or, as we tend to do a lot in America, we're going to try to apply it to countries that it was never meant to apply to. So we, it's, it's really important that we understand what's, who, who's the specific author, who's he specifically writing to, and what's he specifically writing for? What is the reason that he's writing? And this is called exegesis. Paul answers the question for us in the, in the text. So you start reading in verse 8, and he'll explain why he's writing this. He says, first, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So the, the reason Paul's writing is he's planning to visit Rome. And this letter is going to provide the groundwork for what he's going to teach. So rather than just coming in blindly to those, Paul would, would go teach in these churches, rather than just coming in and there's no information or knowledge, he's sending the letter in advance to say, 
this is what I'm going to talk to you about. These are the things that I want you to know. I want you to understand the basics of what the gospel is about. I want you to understand sin and salvation and faith and justification and the, the role of, of Jews and Gentiles in the faith and why this is important. And so Paul is, Paul is explaining all this in the letter. This, this is why it reads like a theological essay because that's what it is. He's trying to explain the basics of the Christian faith to them. And um, he also wants them to be able to come together on the basics of the Christian faith. He wants them to be able to come together through faith in Jesus because the church in Rome was like every other church. There's no church that is perfect, right? There's no church that is perfect. If you find the perfect church, don't go because you'll mess it up. Um, the, every church fusses about stuff. Every church argues about stuff. Every church disagrees about stuff. Every church can rub each other wrong sometimes. Every church has stuff that happens in worship services that some people like and some people don't like. That's just church. You know why, you know why church is that way? Because it's made up of a bunch of people. I mean, and when you put a bunch of people together, we're going to have differences and disagreements and that kind of thing. The church in Rome was no different. So they fought about stuff. Like, I, you know, beginning I'm like, all they had was faith in Jesus and that was enough. Well, I'm, I'm kind of painting a picture there that's not realistic. They fought just like any other church fought. And they disagreed just like any other church disagreed. And uh, what they fought about was primarily Jewish and Gentile because they didn't have New Testament teaching. So they had these Jewish Christians coming in who had the Hebrew scriptures. But then the majority of the church is Gentile. And the Jewish Christians were saying, well, you've got to observe the kosher laws. And, and you've got you know, you to do all the things that a Jewish person should do in order to be Jewish. And they're like, no, no, we don't. What are you talking about? We don't know anything about any of that. And um, there was also a little bit of a... You know, well, Jewish Christians were a little better than the Gentile Christians. So there was a little bit like, who's the better Christian type thing. And Paul is addressing all of this in the letter. And that's why it's so important to know what Paul's doing here. Because we're, the task of exegesis is to go back and understand what did the text say to them in their day. And we've got to answer that question before we ask, what does the text say to us in our day? Because Paul is also writing to us. I don't, don't, don't miss that. There's some stuff for us as well. But the text can never mean to us what it never meant to them. So we always got to go back. It's got to be couched in exegesis. And that, that's just a big fancy theological word that means, you know, t discovering historical context. Understanding the historical context. So we got to understand what was going on between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. And, and how were they divided so that we can understand what Paul is saying to them. And how might that be brought forward to today in a divided society and how might we be able to come together in a divided society or in divided churches where we're fussing and arguing about stuff what are the principles that we can learn from what Paul writes to the Romans that will help us today and I'll go ahead and give you a hint faith in Jesus I'll go ahead and answer the question faith in Jesus uh, you know that I mean that that's where we come together and he says this throughout the first two chapters of Romans he's going to talk about the differences between Jews and Gentiles and he's going to talk about what they have together. They have many differences. They have one thing in common, faith in Jesus. And he's going to make the argument that faith in Jesus is enough for you to be brothers and sisters. Because faith in Jesus is the thing that ties you together. So that's the approach we're going to take in this series. And um, this, is, this is expository preaching that we're going to be doing in this series. It's a little different than what I normally do um, when I teach. But we're just going to be verse by verse, passage by passage, and we're going to go wherever the text takes us. And 
it, I, I think you're going to learn something along the way. Here's why I think it's beneficial for us to do this in this book. The reason I think it can help us is because if we're at a point where we just need to know the basics of the Christian faith. Like what I know, most of us know who Jesus is, right? I know who Jesus is, but what I don't know the rest. I don't understand the rest. How does this, how does salvation work? How does it, how are we made righteous, or are we righteous? Um, how does faith work, and is faith truly enough, or must there be more than you know? What in addition to faith must I have something else in order to be made right with God? You know, how does, how does all of this work? Uh, matter of fact, I, I toyed with titling the series this. Um, I didn't because I thought it, you know, it might get in some copyright trouble or something like that. So I did, but I toyed with titling the series Christianity for Dummies because I really think that's what Paul's doing here. I, I really think Paul's kind of writing, all the Romans know is we know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is. And so Paul's saying, you know who Jesus is. Let me fill in the rest of the story here about what Jesus has done for us and, and why what Jesus has done for us is enough and why what he did for us is enough for you guys to come together. And uh, these, you know, there's tons of these things out here. Do you know there's 2,500 of those out there? 2,500 titles on every, like Woodworking for Dummies, Microsoft Word for Dummies, Iguanas for Dummies. There's, one, there's an Iguanas for Dummies. And the subtitle of the, the book, like if you look this up on Google, it says, if you read only one book on iguanas in your life, this is the one. <laughs> so I didn't know there were more than one book on iguanas. But the whole premise of that series is we're going to assume that people know nothing. We're going to assume that you know nothing about woodworking. So we're going to start with the basics of woodworking and build from there. We're going to assume that you know nothing about iguanas. And we're, gonna, we're just going to start with a blank slate. You know nothing about iguanas. That's kind of how I want to teach this series. I want to assume that we know nothing about Christianity. We, just, we don't know anything about Christianity. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We, we have that basic knowledge of Jesus. We don't know anything else about how any of this works. And we're just going to let Paul guide us in the way he guided the Romans. If we'll listen, he was teaching the Romans the basics of the Christian faith. Like, here's, here's the core things, the things that are most important in the Christian faith. And, and if we'll listen, he'll teach us the same. Now, he goes ahead and reveals in the introduction, because this is another thing biblical introductions do, they tell you who was writing it, they tell you who they're writing it to, they tell you why they're writing it, and they usually tell you where they're going. Like, what do they call that? A synopsis. You know, like, here's, here's the theme. This is, this is kind of where I'm headed. He tells us that at the end of the introduction. Here's what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he says, here's where, I, here's where we're going. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that salvation comes to everyone who believes in Jesus through faith alone. And that's the theme. That's where he's headed. So the other thing that I want to do a little differently in this series is uh, based on this is, the, this is Paul's theme for the book. So if this is his theme for the book, I kind of want to build on that theme. And what I'd like to do throughout this series, however long it takes us, I don't know if it's 15, 16 weeks or whatever it is, I want to do an invitation in every one of these messages. 
Now, for those of you who've been in church for a long time, you're like, oh, that, yeah, we used to do that every single Sunday. We used to have invitations every single Sunday. Um, we don't do that anymore. An invitation is just simply an invitation to respond to the gospel. That's what we're talking about there. So an invitation to respond to the gospel. Like for somebody who's never believed in Jesus or believes in Jesus but never been baptized into Jesus, this is an invitation to respond to the gospel. We may not always have a song with it, but I want to do an invitation at the end of every one of these because I think every one of these messages, Paul is pointing to faith in Jesus and that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. Now, the reason that we don't do it every single Sunday is because... Uh, it doesn't always fit with what I'm teaching. And sometimes I had to go through some serious gymnastics to get around to an invitation. It used to be that every single sermon I had to end with an invitation. So, like, even if it was on divorce and remarriage, I had to somehow work it back around to an invitation. Or, you know, if it's on women's role in the church, I had to somehow weave an invitation back into it. Um, we also said, you know, we started saying, you know, the invitation's open all the time. It's not dependent on a sermon. It's not just something that happens at the end of a sermon. It's open all the time. Anytime somebody wants to respond, anytime, you just reach out. And the, the gospel is always available at any time. So we stopped doing them every single Sunday. But maybe we stopped doing them too much. You know, maybe we didn't do, do, do any sometimes. And in this series, I want to I offer one. And the invitation is quite simple. Um, if you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus, you believe that he's the Lord, that's all you need to know. That's, that's it. You're like, but yeah, but I don't understand. You just talked about Christianity for dummies. I'm looking forward to this series because I don't know under, I don't understand anything about Christianity. I don't know anything about sin, salvation. You don't have to. All you need to know is that Jesus is the Son of God. And you're ready to surrender your life to him. If you know that Jesus is the Son of God and you're ready to surrender your life to him, then you're ready to be baptized into Jesus. And so the invitation is, you know, if you, if you I'm, I believe those things. I'm ready to accept Christ and be baptized into Christ. Then uh, that invitation is open to you. And you can fill out on the card. There's those boxes I talked about, the collection boxes. Just take one of those cards in the seat. Or if you're online, you can comment or send a direct message online and just say, I'm ready to be baptized. Or I want to talk to somebody about being baptized. Or I, you know, I want to talk to somebody about this. You can fill that out, drop it in the card. Um, you can catch me after services. Or you can use this song, and that's why we're singing this song. You can use this song as a time of reflection to kind of think through um, where you're at with God and where you're at with Jesus and your faith. And if you're ready to respond to that faith, I'm going to be down front. I'm not going to be standing facing you, waiting on people to come, that kind of thing. But I'm going to be down front. You can come catch me during the song if you want to. Or you can wait till after the song's over and catch me after the services or whatever. Uh, but let me, let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to sing this song to close out together as a church. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, go with us through this journey of Romans. And we've got a lot to learn. We, we have a lot to learn. And I pray that you, we would have our ears open uh, to what you would teach us through this book and uh, what you would use, how you use the Apostle Paul to teach us and that we would take the things he was teaching the early Romans and then ask, well, how does that apply to us? And um, Father, I'm thankful for your son Jesus. I'm thankful that faith comes through him and him alone. And I'm thankful that our salvation is not based on us observing the correct doctrine or worshiping in the right way or getting everything. It's not based on us. It's based on what your son Jesus has done for us. And that is enough. That's all we need. So, Father, I, I pray that uh, for anybody here, either online or in the room, that's thinking about um, taking that step of faith, I pray that you would, your spirit would nudge them and encourage them to do that.
It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com.